Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And this is We Podicano, an our band for beer life miniseries. <laughs> We're taking a journey through Michael Azarad's chronicle of the 1980s American underground rock scene, continuing today with Chapter 9, Big Black. Coming out of Chicago, Big Black unleashed a caustic, abrasive, proto-industrial sound onto the world, as well as, of course, one of punk's most notorious, uh, let's say, controversial figures in frontman Steve Albini. Through Big Black, Albini would redefine what it meant to be confrontational in a scene already defined by confronting your audience. And today, we'll be talking all things Big Black, from cables to kerosene, from Chapter 9 of Our Band Could Be Your Life. But first, let's introduce our guest. She's a musician, a podcaster, and of course, our show's returning albiniologist from the podcast Generation Loss and Beep Beep Lettuce and the band Stay Inside. It's Bryn Niebuhr. Hello. Hey, Bryn. Welcome back to the pod. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's great to be back. So glad to have you. I was I was remembering the last time we podcasted, oh, it yes. was in person, and I literally like remembering people coming over to our house to podcast. I was just like, wow, that used to happen. It was a, it was a very fun time. It actually, yeah. the last time me and you podcasted was over Zoom about pirates. Yes. And that was a great about time. About pirates, which is back. I mean, I literally <laughs> saw one. We uh, I went on Generation Lost to talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Mm -hmm. And Chris saw one tweet from a, a guy being like, that movie ripped, actually, and sent it to me. And he's like, Pirates of the Caribbean is back, baby. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> we did it. Uh, I, will also say, I will also say, if we're just talking about it being in the zeitgeist, uh, Gore Verbinski made it all the way to the final two in other podcasts, blank checks uh Ooh. director's bracket of who they were going to cover in their next thing so it came you know within a few thousand votes of of them doing like a six pirates of the caribbean movie <laughs> series which would also put that shit back in <laughs> including like wasn't there a bot attack on their voting process yeah, yeah. like yeah. people were really ass. going yeah. crazy for gore going, yeah, yeah. going wild <laughs> we're, we're nuts for gore going gore hive gore, uh, gore crazy <laughs> Yes, I, I also did a Gen Loss, I think during quarantine, though over a year ago about Repo Man. Was that at the very beginning of quarantine? I think we did that over Zoom as oh, well. Oh, yeah. I forgot that oh that God. was over Zoom. But yes, it was. It is It is so nice to be able to see in on the horizon in-person podcasting. Raw dog podcasting is... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> unprotected unprotected Uncut. podcasting <laughs> i can't wait yes it's gonna be good again the riffs are back baby uh but the last time we talked to you on this show was also about steve albini although we were yes. approaching it from a slightly different angle which is kind of his i, I don't know how you would call it, like post-millennium work and just presence as kind of a, a scene elder statesman uh from an article that uh, was just kind of a, a profile of, of him as he existed in what, like 2009, 2010? When was that article from? Oh God, I yeah. So Maybe I think a little. It later, was later. Yeah. It was later 2000s. Um, definitely a, a sort of a retrospective on like, okay, it's fun. It's so funny because reading this again as an adult was and that it in the rearview mirror of that episode and that article just felt so funny because it's like, it really does, you really do feel the inclination to be like, but are you a racist? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was that. Yeah. That was that article was like him finally sitting down and being like, "No." <laughs> Let me, uh, I would like to address that issue. Uh, we'll get there. So this is if that was like uh, you know the older statesman Steve Albini. This this episode is Albini colon origins. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, where we get to like track his rise as, as a misanthropic teen to a misanthropic twenty something. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, we can kind of brush over our, our origins with Albini. Um, sure, yeah. Bryn, Bryn how long have you been an Albini head? Uh, probably 20 years or so at this point. Um, um, I found Big Black, or actually, I think I might have found Shellac first. Mm. Um, it was, I think someone lent me at Action Park. Which, for whatever reason, I was a stupid teenager and thought it was a live album. <laughs> um, and I was like, this is crazy. How is this a live album? Um, but no, I, was, um, I was amazed by that record and then very quickly found um, songs about fucking. Uh, somebody I knew had it on vinyl. Hell yeah. And it was just visually an incredible looking thing. It's like all bright green and pink. And uh, then I was told that it was also the guy from Shellac, his first band, and it was people generally think it was his best. And I tended to agree. To, I, I agreed at the time that it was his best. I don't think that now. Um, but from then on, I basically became someone who felt the need to constantly have conversations about Steve Albini <laughs> because I was an a, object of fascination. Yeah, well, yeah. for sure. And also, people would be mad at you. <laughs> for like mm-hmm. suggesting that you should listen it's like that guy's a nazi or you know uh-huh. whatever that guy is a is a fascist or you know a hateful yeah. bigot um and you know you'd have to sit people down or be like either you'd engage with that conversation or not right and it was a very mm-hmm. fun for me at the time because i liked in a similar fashion to the way steve albini seems to be as a kid a little bit enjoying people pushing people's buttons um which is the thing I didn't even really realize about myself until I became adult. Like uh-huh. I just thought that that was how you engaged with people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think later in life I realized that oh, I actually do get a kick out of like making people uncomfortable. Um, and so obviously it resonate, all of his music resonated with me and I, I was a staunch Albini defender all through high school and college. Uh, and I guess now I continue to be. <laughs> it's the the galaxy brain meme but every level is steve albini's cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> Small, tiny brain <laughs> as a too, teenager too yeah, at, yeah, yeah at what age do you think steve albini is cool and why <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man molly do you want to go i i don't want to make you retell your joke from episode 65 <laughs> I will. I I won't retell my joke for episode sixty five. I did have to go back to our old episode about Steve Albini to like cro- to fact check myself of what I think I, when I first experienced <laughs> him, which was actually uh, as a thought leader and not as a musician, uh, because I, I I was aware of him as a producer, but I had read um, 
you know, his writing first, which is, I don't know how weird that is. Like uh, his food in, critic writing or? Okay. <laughs> it was, dude, did we talk about his, his Grub Street diet on the last episode? I, I can't feel remember. like this might have come up. I don't up, even know. I'm assuming should... that anyone listening to this episode hasn't heard the other one. So I'm, <laughs> if I lie, don't call me on it. I don't care. Yeah, that's, <laughs> why, that's why I was trying to fact check myself. But. And if you have already listened to that that episode, this is just a, like us playing some uh, hits off the old album, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. You, Everyone's got to, you know, t- Tony Bennett can't keep coming up with new songs. You know, yeah. we're, we're playing the standards. That's what here. we call yeah, exactly. an encore um, in the biz. Should, anyone should read uh, Steve Albini's Grub Street Diet, though, because he's a he gardens now and he's like really funny about vegetables, which is something that I didn't I wouldn't expect from him in his like maybe slightly chiller old age. But, songs uh, about veggies. Songs about veggies. <laughs> uh, big eggplant. The uh, the yeah that so yeah I was I was a Steve as uh in intellectual public intellectual first Steve <laughs> as musician second and I actually think realistically I probably first heard a big black song in the form of Chris you playing the Saint Vincent cover that was at the oh yeah ten year yeah. anniversary we'll play that uh, at the end of this show of commemorating this very book that you were at and it was at webster hall uh i believe webster hall i forget terminal five who cares not terminal five. knitting not factory terminal five. knitting factory no okay bigger <laughs> Big- <laughs> warmer, it's warmer. downtown it's on uh canal street maybe i forget i forget oh the lower than webster hall maybe oh, maybe it's webster hall i forget We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, um, yeah, that's 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 my that's my sh- shortened tale. So wait, uh, before you before you go on, I don't know if I asked you this last time, but and then what? Like, did you get oh, then, into him deeply, or or did you ever feel like you ever resonated with uh, his music? It's. I feel like I got into it. You know, when in, once I started <laughs> dating Chris, and I think my taste has gotten. I feel like Chris, your taste has probably been. You you like to you know you like when things go hard you like when things are uh, when they slap when they whip ass etc. I started much more uh, melodically. I, I liked songs for babies, um, but the older I get, the more I like songs that go hard. So I can't okay. say that like pretty much everything that I listen to that Steve Albini has touched. I'm like yeah hell yeah sure. so yeah yeah I vibe. Although he would not like the word vibe. I was just rereading one of his pieces of writing and he says he does not like the words vibe or feel. <laughs> yeah, but or he's groove. but he's old. Can that that like basically he's thinking of like dudes who hang out at guitar centers and like try to play BB King licks, you know. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That's a different he, this is a different kind of post millennial vibe. Not your daddy's vibe. Yeah. <laughs> not your daddy's vibe. This ain't your granddaddy's vibes. Uh, I'll go, I'll go really quick. I got a copy of the Thousand Hertz, the Shellac album, mm-hmm. sometime in like two thousand three or four, uh, and was first aware of him through that because that was like what was hot on Pitchfork around then. Oh, uh, interesting. Didn't, yeah, didn't think about it. Uh, well, I mean, it wasn't like burning up Pitchfork, but it was something <laughs> that you know Pitchfork would be like it, veteran rocker Steve Albini. Bat. Well, I, I guess that wouldn't be the Pitchfork language, but yeah, they were like, ah, oh, this is good. Mm-hmm. So I had that and listened to it and thought it was weird and funny, and then didn't <laughs> think about it for like five years, and then. It was like Steve Albini, the shellac guy. He was in a band with a drum machine. Hooked <laughs> <laughs> it, hooked this shit up my, for me. And, my favorite thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then I, I first listened to uh, those songs and was like, "Oh, holy shit! This is exactly, uh, exactly my shit." A guy sure. being very angry in a funny way with loud, angry guitars over a drum <laughs> machine. I will, I will take that in any form that it comes. 
It's yeah, a great time. Sure. One of my favorite yeah. types of musics as well. Yeah. <laughs> so should we get into the story? Yeah, let's get into the story of, of Steve. Of Steve and Big Black. <laughs> as, as Michael Azarad writes, the irascible, outspoken, intelligent, and relentlessly ethical Steve Albini. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, funny how he says that. He says relentlessly ethical and then goes through a lot of situations where he's being a little bit non-ethical. Like... <laughs> We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. it's almost like he wants to say offensively ethical. <laughs> right. <laughs> Myopically so. My myopically ethical would be mm. another good way to put it. Whose ethics? It's Steve's ethics. Yeah, yeah. His own. <laughs> um well, so Steve's father was uh, a rocket scientist and his family <laughs> which wait, I'm not to immediately tangentially thing, but like wh- who decided that rocket scientist was like the smartest job that's the smartest the, one that's yeah. the smartest job because it's a, oh it's not rocket science blah, 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 blah. i'm like surely there's at least one harder job i feel like I would feel biochemistry or yeah. yeah i don't know but yeah how about this i did find that You're, the humble garbage man <laughs> That's that's harder. I think that's harder to be than a rocket scientist. I found that line particularly strange because it's like, what do you mean literally? Like, so what? (laughs) It's just a job. It's a fucking job. Does that mean Steve Albini is extra smart because of it? I don't know. Whatever. Go ahead. Right. (laughs) He could be be working on the dumb parts of the rocket, like the paint color. Yeah, he could be painting it, naming it, uh, figuring out where to put it, like managing like the warehouse where it's like chilling. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's all science, I guess. He's all trajectory guy. He's just a (laughs) genius. It's just parabolas. Yeah. It's just parabolas. Uh, so his dad was a rocket scientist. They moved all over the country. They settled in Missoula, Montana for Steve's formative years. He was, quote, scrawny, bespectacled, and too smart for his own good, unquote. He was bullied so much uh, by the popular kids at school that when he broke his leg in a motorcycle accident in high school, popular kids called him uh, expressing delight at his pain. <laughs> That is some old school bullying. Right. Just I calling like, somebody and being like, fuck you, you cripple. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. Well, calm down. <laughs> that's an extra effort. Like yeah. bullying someone when you're just passing them in the hallway. Like that's just right. that's that's regular style. But like going out of your way. Yeah. Asking your mom if you can use the phone for a little <laughs> bit. You have a call to make. <laughs> and then calling the class nerd and telling them that, that it's funny they broke their leg. Yeah. You suck. You deserve it. Unbelievable. Um, so when he was recuperating, that's when he first learned how to play an instrument. He learned how to play the bass. He enrolled at uh, Northwestern University, Chris's <laughs> alma mater. He majored, uh, go Wildcats. In, he majored in journalism. He minored in fine art. And he also appeared to minor in getting fired from his DJ slot uh, at the uh, Northwestern uh, WNUR is that correct? Is that the, yes. the station? The, and this is the big one of the big handshakes of the book because I brought up WNUR on a lot of these episodes and places that I was first exposed to it. I had two of my uh, former DJ mates at WNUR on for the Minutemen episode, and mm-hmm. here we are uh, making the connection uh, of the lineage of of Steve Albini to as a WNUR DJ. Although I will say that he says in the book that he uh, did not have a good experience there. And it, it is kind of lore at the station that he uh, was always fighting with the uh, management, which is funny because he says that they were like careerist pussies, basically, <laughs> who worked at the station. Uh, Patsy's. And- uh, Patsy's and fucking mainstream radio wannabes is the uh, direct quote. Yeah, that's Steve. hard to that's hard to 
believe that it's not true. Like you have <laughs> to agree with him. <laughs> uh, but I will say, by time I worked for the rock show there, uh, the Al- the Albini mentality had become so ingrained that oh. uh, managers would uh that that rock show leaders would literally come and like chew you out if you dared to play something as popular as an Arcade Fire B side in two thousand five. <laughs> on the the station being like this is not what the WNUR rock show is for. We play music that only we only play music that doesn't get played anywhere else in the country. You may not play this obscure Bowie tune. No Bowie on the station. So, uh hey, are you playing that- battles? What are you some kind of mall goth poser? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, if, l- literally like that. If so, they can play so- Terminal 5, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We don't we don't want them b- playing a gig larger than uh you know yeah. Transpicos yeah. out in uh, yeah. 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 We're not playing any of the, we're not playing any of those corporate sellouts like tapes and tapes. <laughs> if they can sell 100 tickets at a show, they're far too large for us. Yeah. Uh-huh. Look again. So, uh Albini won that battle in spirit if not uh in his time. It'd be funny Powerful if he influence. like doesn't know or care. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. He literally could not get less, less of a shit about that place, I'm sure. But we still we still hold him in in our hearts as a patron saint. Sure. Or at least I did at the time. It'd be uh, that would be a really funny uh like alma mater speech when like the famous guy goes and wears like the sashes and the weird hat and like it's like class of twenty twenty, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One two. Fuck you. Yeah. One two. Uh, no. I, I mean, I, I was such a nerd about this shit that I remember there was like a mothballed reel to reel player stuck in the corner of the radio station, and I would like be late nights closing down a station, like gently caress it and be like, maybe Albini used this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he also gently caressed it. I bet he did. Yeah. Uh, Steve also was. Uh, he was writing r- writing. Uh, around campus, he wrote a an aggressive fanzine column uh, for the zine Matter called "Tired of Ugly Fat." Um, great, great column name. <laughs> great column name. Uh, and yeah, he was just like a general kind of aggressively contrarian. Uh, uh, I would I would say troll. I know we talked about this a little bit in our mm. in our earlier episode, but like he definitely has the vibes of someone who would have thrived on the forums. I guess of just stoking. Uh, I mean, uh, Iyer. He's literally Iyer. a poster, yeah. Like he he's is. a poster. He yeah, he was posting it, when it wasn't that easy to post. You had to make a lot more effort back. You, you then. had to, to make a zine. You had to write and print the and <laughs> send it I, in. I, I, I will. I will say. I mean, I guess it's weird because he he is like, and what this is one of the difficult things to parse about him is that he is like intensely earnest about a lot of things and then hyper ironic like the uh, with other things with very little distinction. It, within his writing about what is ironic and what is earnest, which I guess Absolutely. is classic poster be- behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's like, it's up to you to figure out what. A- Azared has a good analysis of uh, Steve's behavior, especially as an adolescent, which is that choosing the reason you get your ass kicked is a way of exercising <laughs> some control over the situation. <laughs> I think that actually explains a lot about him is that he's used yeah. to being bullied. He's not, you know, appearance wise, like he's not uh, a, a big slab of a dude. He's like a little dorky guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be like, well, if people are going to fuck with me, I might as well choose the reason they, they fuck with me and feel like I have some some ownership. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, he also he was walking around campus. This sounds completely maddening. 
he would walk around campus listening to a Roland RU-606 drum machine play the same unvarying beat into his headphones, which then gave him ideas for the first Big Black record. So this this motherfucker (laughs) is walking around with like, dun, 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 in his ears all day. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Now, this is very, yes. I I identify with this. Yes. (laughs) You do? Oh, yeah. That, that, That makes a lot of sense to me. Because yes, if you have, I, I, totally, I totally get that. If you could buy a fucking 606 for, well, how much does it say he buys it for? Like $80 or something? Yeah. And I don't then, think it was a pri- price, but yeah. The, those are very cool p- p- uh, pieces of equipment. And then he just has it like on batteries, like in his backpack or whatever. Amazing. Like 6D batteries just burning. I'm sure those things at that time burned through those things. It burned through batteries. Yeah, in yeah. Like a <laughs> sure. But I used the, uh, to do that on the train. I'd bring a, a little a Korg Electribe around and like make beats when <laughs> on headphones. It's a good Aww. time. I just, it's, I keep thinking, it, this all feels very like indie movie cinematic to me that there's a scene <laughs> where Steve's like walking around campus and like you just hear this like insane pulsating beat and then someone tries to talk to him and he's just like, what? <laughs> or it's, it's the garden state. Uh, scene except he says listen to this it'll change your life and he puts the headphones on it just (laughs) 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 that's so good Um, Zach Braff is just like shit what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he's he's a sort of manic pixie uh, dream boy in, yeah. a, in a certain way (laughs) I'm sure there that there were a fair amount actually this is this is maybe skipping ahead but it is referenced offhandedly later that at a at a time he was dating a Playboy model, a, wom- a woman at Northwestern who was in the Playboy Girls of the Big Ten issue. Yeah, uh, which I was, yeah, I, what is just, that? I've tried to find out, like if there is like a night. I've tried. <laughs> oh to look yeah, up if for there's, research. Like, a <laughs> I s- w- swear to God, specifically to see if I could find pictures of Steve Abbey's 1982 girlfriend. I flipped through every page of every Playboy that came out in the early 80s to find his girlfriend. I have to know. I have to know. I'm just I'm just uh, ribbing you. I, well, I, I'm, I'm sure it's quality. I'm very honest that I, I do have to know. But but it is like I'm sure that there were uh, at, at least a handful of I could fix him girls uh, <laughs> hanging around. He was probably. 100%. Here's the thing. I think. OK, well, this might be a little bit too big picture for where we are right now. But I do think that he must have been very sweet. Like yeah, he, uh, yeah. It, it it goes on to say like people meeting him expected him like he got this this cloud in the scene as like an asshole and they expected him to be like this big gruff shithead who like was like <laughs> scary but he's just like this sweet like wormy guy and it's like <laughs> but he must have had just like insane amounts of confidence. Yeah. And just have been a really kind of like self-deprecating sweet guy. So it makes sense that he would like have a really, you know, someone you'd be able to have a girlfriend who he found very attractive, I suppose. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. that can get, but I mean, also it does seem like he has more problems with women than even he lets on <laughs> at this early <laughs> yeah. stage in his yes. life. But go continue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he, uh, he's obviously interested in making music, uh, but he uh, himself says, uh, he, that he didn't know any musicians who didn't blow out of a pig's asshole. I fucking love that <laughs> quote. Um, so he recorded an album all himself, um, which I feel like he maybe is the first person in this book to do, to go it on your own, as opposed to find like 
three or four other dirtbags to try to coordinate. Mm-hmm. I think he was just I, I, I respect his uh, his completely DIY nature of like doing it myself. Only me. Nobody else. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the EP Lungs, which he then says, uh, listening back to it, uh, it just makes my flesh crawl. He do, he does not <laughs> stand by his dish. Um for what came out of lungs, but should we listen to something off it to get the uh, proto yes. Steve vibe? Yes. This is Dead Billy off of lungs. Sounds weirdly like new wavy, just like how it's recorded, you know. He d- he doesn't seem to have really a grasp on what he wants out of the drum machine, exactly. Because he's like, mm-hmm. it almost sounds like he's trying to make straight up swans, like uh, yeah. co- like from cop era swans. But and I've had this, you know, being a huge fan of both these bands, I've had this problem too trying to make this kind of music with synthesizers and not really knowing enough about synthesizers yet. It's a tough problem. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's funny. And when we listen to the next song, you'll hear like all, again, all these elements are there, but it is just like decidedly, you know, uh, sophomore uh, compared to when Big Black like fully emerges as a band, not a year or two later and it's like oh this is something real not just and I believe Azared refers to this as like if you if you can imagine what the uh, the, the weirdest angriest kid on your dorm floor would make in his <laughs> dorm room it's that and you listen to this and you're like yeah pretty much yeah. I mean, it's a good version of that but I mean it sounds it, almost exactly like one of my favorite albums that my high school best friend made like before he even heard Big Black like mm-hmm. it's just like the ideas are all there. The you know the technical know how to get what he wanted out of it wasn't there. But I mean, I still love lungs. I mean, it's so full of like passion that you can't. Yeah, it's hard for me to be like, well, this completely sucks because it's yeah, it's so clear what's coming. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting in its own way. Well, he released it on a local uh, label, which Azared says wasn't much more than a logo. Ruthless Records, <laughs> um, and included in the pressing, uh, it were special treasures such as uh, dollar bills, locks of hair, 
used condoms and blood spattered pieces of paper uh, from a friend who was uh, plagued with nosebleeds. So everyone got little treats in there, <laughs> copies of lungs. Uh, All I think of that it, feels a little yes. bit easy to imagine, except the used condoms one. Yeah, that one feels like such yeah. an extreme outlier. Yeah, yeah, no way. Really? Like literal liquid? <laughs> yeah, right. In a bag? <laughs> I mean, maybe he tied them off. I don't know. Even real still, he- real think- health hazard, though, regardless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the blood as well. Pretty gross. The blood, at least, <laughs> I have a shirt with Jamie Stewart from Shoe Shoe's blood on it. Like, <laughs> blood dries, you know, and you can sort of, yeah. like, have it as a thing. But yeah. semen is just going to stay squishy, I think. Way more of a biohazard at the end <laughs> well, of the for day. For sure. <laughs> Um, so he, he eventually recruits, uh, he's a big fan of the, uh, Chicago punk band Naked Ray Gun, and he gets both Jeff Pizzotti and Santiago Durango from the band to play bass and guitar, respectively. Uh, it, it like, it just, again, I, you know, we were talking about how he gets a hot girlfriend, but like, it, it does seem like he just has a powerful charisma to convince yeah. people. Cause like Naked Ray Gun was like a real... A real band, and then yeah. he he had them. He sort of uh, hypnotized them, perhaps, into making the <laughs> well, shit that he made. At least one of them was um, w- w- he they explain as it being like the guy lived above their practice space and was mm-hmm. trying to uh, hang out while they were making racket, and then eventually he was just like, "Well, I might as well come down and check it out." And then he was like, ah, "I might as well play with it." <laughs> I mean, if it's you're like, gonna be here, it'll be fun, yeah. yeah. It's Let's the hiding in the the bushes uh, v- version exactly. of the. It's the more <laughs> ch- Chicago version of that. Just to get a taste of what else was going on in Chicago, here's a second of Rat Patrol uh, from Naked Raygun's first song. Sounds so generic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good, uh, competent, but yes, very, uh, you know, generic of the of the time. There are there are some other uh, uh, songs on that album that are a little more interesting, but I just want to give a taste of uh, rap soul. So they were fun to see. Yeah, it's, I've never actually. For whatever reason, I've never checked out Naked Ray Gun, even though I've I've heard of them from specifically from Steve Albini, and uh, it's so I was not expecting it to just basically be a straightforward hardcore band. Yeah, yeah, because he's like seemed so blown away. Yeah, right. He was a bi- he was a big fan. Yeah, he was like it's the best band I've ever seen. A stand. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe yeah, maybe they were just. I mean, if you're 19 years old in Chicago, uh, seeing them live, I'm sure. Yeah, I sure could be a. Uh, to be very impressive. Absolutely. Sometimes people just like really tear the stage up. Yep. Yeah, true. Um, so yeah, they he, he recruits them. Uh, they record Bulldozer together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the hallmark of Bulldozer is, is Azarad is talking about them trying to figure out who to engineer the record and just saying that they are always uh, uh, saddled with mellow ponytailed types because I do feel like, and this hasn't, I don't think has been mentioned in the book yet, the idea that, you know, a whole new type of 
incredibly intense music that of a type of do, new new guy just dropped uh that like the engineering process really doesn't catch up for a little bit that uh-huh. it is like a guy who's like just gently twiddling some knobs and wants to chill and like uh kind of fuck off and then these guys show up um so yeah should we listen to something from bulldozer Yes, I will also note that on this record, the drummer from Urge Overkill yes. plays on it. Uh, Urge Overkill, who you, uh, you the listener, might know as being the uh, band behind the song Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon off the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Another uh, group of Northwestern legends, and in fact, in front of the largest, as of the time I attended, in front of the one of the largest dorms at Northwestern, you can see the words Urge Overkill uh, carved into the still wet concrete in front of <laughs> in front of the dorm that has theoretically yes. been there since the late eighties because I can't imagine any Northwestern student had did that had done that since the time that Urge Overkill attended. It would be funny to try to make fake graffiti for uh legends of your school and just yeah, being yeah. like, Yeah, yeah, you totally wrote that and you wrote yeah, it like two years ago. Go back uh to Northwestern campus and write Julia Louis Dreyfus and some <laughs> of the uh do like a big of, elaborate tag. Yeah. J- Study her your signature and how she would have written yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, here is Cables off of 1983's Bulldozer. guitar tones and bass tones on all the big black uh, albums are so fucking cool. Yeah. Like all the way that all the instruments sound is so fucking great. So unique and I don't really you know I still don't really understand how he's getting some of it like Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean I mean they keep they keep referencing that he has like metal picks that he puts notches in so it sounds like two picks and I'm like I need to see these picks before yeah. I really. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what's to. going on. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, ha- I've played. I have metal picks, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know I, I joke all the time that my, um, my like two of my joke words for a, a typical music review are gossamer and lacerating. Right. Uh, but Steve Albini's guitar tone really is gossamer Super. and lacerating. I don't. Know, I don't know about. <laughs> I don't know what gossamer means, but definitely lacerating. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a feeling. Well, well that, that, yeah. that super high spindly thing when he's doing those like harmonics and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Gossamer. Yeah. <laughs> Very gossamer. And then the and then the fucking growling bass. You yeah, know? the bass sounds fucking monster. Yeah. yeah. It at once bananas. It at once sounds like like um. 
like a loose cable on the ground that you're just smacking yeah. on concrete, but then it also exactly. is so deep. Yeah, it's so deep, and it, the yeah, the growl, the dis- the slight distortion on it. it, it, it every and that there's like two distinct guitar stones tones, and they both rip in their own ways. It's great. Mm-hmm. I, I fucking love the way like big black music sounds. I always forget that there's a live drummer on that one because they yeah. never really do that again, right? No, he's like, nah, I don't need that. It I don't need Mister Urge Overkill. It doesn't. Yeah. End, it doesn't really sound better. I don't think until much later until Rape Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean the dr- the drum machine is so iconic. Why you, you've it's a competitive advantage. It's different than it, something anybody else has. So uh, you know why why not use it? Uh, I really liked Steve saying that the idea uh, was to make something that felt intense when we went through it, rather than something that had little encoded indicators of intensity. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like is both like a very it's like a very uh, collegiate way to put it. But I, I'm picking up what he's putting down. Just like, because I agree that, especially, you know, a punk rock song, especially if you're seeing it live, it's, it's indicators of intensity. Like it's people slamming on stuff, it's mm-hmm. loud. Um, you're in a room with people moshing. Like those are all intense. But it isn't quite the same as like the music that we just heard, which is like a true like assault on mm-hmm. your, your head bones. Yeah. It sounds very. It's, and it's funny because he is, I think at one point around this point in the story, he kind of shit talks metal. Yeah. Which at the time, I totally agree with him. Like very few and probably anything that he was exposed to, like has this sort of Halloween costume of gore, or like mm-hmm. uh, spooky mm-hmm. or, or fear or something. But, you know, he's trying to do what I think Gerard was trying to do around the same time, which is actually make you feel those feelings of of afraid you know like and disturbed yeah Yeah. and along those lines i mean we were talking about this before you logged on brin but even the name of the band yeah honestly i think one of my favorite band names of all time just big black Mm -hmm. Uh, and he says i I forget his actual quote maybe you wrote it down but it's just like i just wanted something he's like i just wanted something that like encompasses like ominousness like mm-hmm. fear yeah. and just looming terror and uh, pain and pressure. What is the most simple distillation of that idea? Something that is big and like without light, big black. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like he doesn't really get enough credit because everyone's always talking about the politics of his mm-hmm. art. Um, mm-hmm. Albini very rarely gets any credit for being really good at art. And like yeah. having mm-hmm. a very poetic sense of things and really being able to not only be a satirist and, you know, like songs about fucking is a hilarious album title and a hilarious album cover, as you were talking about, like the aesthetics of this band are like perfect yeah. all the way down. It's like everything is one cohesive thing from again, from the, the tone of the instruments to the lyrics to the songwriting to the drum machine to the fucking album covers to the name of the band. Like everything is like one thing in such a perfect way. I might be I might be overplaying my hand, but I this might be <laughs> my favorite group as a whole thing in 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 the book. Because huh? everything is just like all of one piece so much. Yeah. I mean it it's definitely it's definitely mine. <laughs> but um but yeah, I just think he's so because he's a fucking art guy. And I think, I don't know yeah. if we got there yet, but they talk about, have we gotten to the art piece he did? 
I think that was a little earlier. That, okay. Yeah, but, but, but we, you I, should let's talk it, yeah. about it. Yeah, well, that's, that's very, you know, close to home for me because when I found out about performance art in college as well and like basically threw myself into that stuff, just like learning about Chris Burden and Maria Abramovic and, uh, you know, um, what's the woman? Pipilati Wrist, mm-hmm. um, you know, really being confrontational about like art as changing the relationship of the room you're in um Mm -hmm. and like actually feeling something from somebody instead of this very like studied like hmm what does this painting make me feel like really those people doing i think a lot about i have a lot of opinions about performance art it being i think the best art form and also the, the worst the worst art form when it's bad you know um <laughs> it's the highest risk highest reward i think yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and yeah. i think that steve albini is interested in that uh is very very telling um yeah trying to do something where it's like literally hurt me <laughs> and that's yeah. my art well you you didn't describe the 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 thing that he did in college right that you wanted to say like no that he set up uh a, when he was studying performance studies, he set up a, a performance studies thing that was like a big plexiglass shield. Uh, and the idea was that he would taunt people behind it and encourage <laughs> them to throw things at him and, and, and uh, uh, like, abuse, like verbally abuse him. Yeah. And the, the, the idea is that the piece of art would be the plexiglass that was like ruined by things that he encouraged uh, people to throw at him. Yeah. Uh, but Great idea. But very early in the uh, in the the installation, uh, his friend came and threw a bowling ball pin at it and shattered the plexiglass. <laughs> that's good art. Yeah, that's good art. Should have picked that's, a stronger material. But yeah. it's yeah. a very. I mean, it's clearly I think stolen from Rina Abramovic, who did Rhythm Ten. I think is the one where it's just like a table full of props, and it's like do, do whatever stuff. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like there was a gun and uh, the, yeah, there's like yeah. scissors and like a gun and like some food or something. It was like row. It was like a rose and a knife and a gun and food. Yeah, it was a bunch of stuff. And then, wait, was the gun loaded? Well, someone loaded uh, it and like put it yeah. to her head. <laughs> yeah, it was, wow. it was real. Yeah, you you didn't see the uh, Marina documentary, Chris? We got. We I did watch not. that. It's. I just love that she's dating a guy and they they walk all the. Uh, all the they meet halfway on the Great Wall of China to break up. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. my favorite piece of performance art. <laughs> is Very just amazing. the effort it takes to to uh, break up with somebody. You got to walk like a million miles. <laughs> yeah, her and Ule. Yeah, Ule. Right. Oh man, Ule. Ule was like a real. Uh, I remember him vaguely wearing like Crocs. Like he was a real like comfort <laughs> art hippie guy. Yeah, in a way that I respected. <laughs> but yeah, the anyway, yeah, the also Steve Steve Elbini's art attitude is very funny to me because it's very like no it, like no nonsense like i it does not feel pretentious even though i think he has a reputation as like a pretentious guy or like that he can mm-hmm. come off that way but mm-hmm. it, i don't know it's it's he's i don't think he's talking about the uh the cromulence of the uh the deconstruction of the right. uh the the uh you know modes of being and seeing uh, yeah. he's just like throw some shit at me man <laughs> It's cool. My art will be your hate is his yeah. whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we we should talk about his his trollishness um, because uh, it it starts to kind of come out more as he's making like big black music. Uh, he 
you know, he, he has interesting attitude. It, it's an interesting, it's still an interesting attitude, however many decades later, because it is kind of stuff that we are dealing with right now in terms of what wokeness is, mm-hmm. uh, because he was not afraid to make offensive jokes about race, about, uh, you know, gay people, about lots of uh, identities that are uh, getting a lot of, Getting a lot, a lot of chatter on Twitter about how you know <laughs> what what should be said and what should not be said. Sure. And his his attitude was basically, it's so stupid. He's basically just like, I'm not a racist, so uh, it doesn't matter what I say. <laughs> I just know that I'm not a racist. Right. <laughs> it's the 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 trust me model. Yeah. The, don't the don't worry about it model. <laughs> yeah. Like he said. So you know, for example, the um the album. Bulldozer, he originally wanted to name that uh, album Hey N-Word, and it was going to be a cover with like a sort of like fat, uh, hick, redneck type uh, saying it. And his, Mm. you know, idea behind that was that uh, an offensive term used by an offensive person is only offensive if you allow that person's commentary to have some weight or value. Right. Thoughts? (laughs) I mean, I think that that's like... I get, I get what he's saying, but I just, you can't imagine it coming across the way that he wants it to. <laughs> and to just like throw that out there and be like, it's your job to deal with it is like, well, not really if you're doing it, if you're doing something like that, you know? Well, my, my toot is like, cause we talked about this when we were talking about the interview that he gave at a, a, a later age where he was talking about the scene that he, you know, create the scene of going to la- well, like black or shellac live show and the responsibility that you do have there in person to sort of mm-hmm. maintain a safe community and how he, you know, was interested in that and doing that and how it relies on not just one person top down telling people how to behave, but kind of a, a network of communication of people doing that. Right. And so I feel like his attitude is like, it, just me saying something doesn't matter. It is how, like, it's how it, there's a difference between me saying something and then someone doing something in person or in practice, which has a, a much different reality. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's it's really interesting reading this because I didn't, you know, like I said, I hadn't really revisited this since I was a teenager. And when I was a teenager, there was, you know, I was like, yeah, of course, I'll see if Albini's right about everything. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, reading this now, it really strikes me as a very young person type of thing to mm-hmm. say where you really haven't mm-hmm. been confronted with contexts but you think like your point of view makes sense in every logical way in the context that you exist in which, yes. but you haven't like really been in any other context and i think the reason that this persists for so long is because there wasn't an internet. And I think the reason that it's (laughs) interesting now that we're kind of dealing with the same stuff is because everyone is afraid that everything they say is going to put in every context. Yes. Um, We were were just talking about this, about something. It's like the difference between something being not for everybody and like having an audience of everyone, you know, like the, the, uh, which is not to say justify, you know, certain bad behaviors or anything, but it's just like, it is, difficult to suddenly be in a situation where your theoretical audience to literally everything is everyone. Yeah, (laughs) right. Exactly. And this is the thing is if he had named this album that, and that was the cover, I think at this point in history, it would have been clear 
what yes. he meant. Yes. And mm-hmm. everyone would understand it after. But but the only thing that would have changed is that people would have had been able to point to it 40 years later and on the internet and be like, look at this racist. And Steve Albini mm-hmm. doesn't give a shit. So it's like, it, it, <laughs> so it's like yeah. really all that, all that matters is does this hurt your brand or your personal narrative of history? And it's like, if you don't care about that, mm-hmm. I mean, what, who, like, are, are there people who would be offended by that? Like in a record store and be like, Oh wow. A racist album. Who gives a shit? Like <laughs> nobody is yeah. like, no black guy is like walking around being like, I can't believe there's racism in front of me. <laughs> like they know. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be pointed out. It's, yeah. it's just there. Just trying to metabolize like the idea that, yeah, that the size of his audience and what he's doing is, you know, so- something like that, you know, that EP title would be comprehensible by his audience, which is realistically probably other scrawny white like dudes. Like a hundred guys, yeah. A hundred <laughs> scrawny white dudes who feel, you know, uh, somewhat are excited by the idea that there's someone who's maybe poking some holes into the, the like PC thing, whatever. Right. Uh, that's fine. But yeah, then expose it to everybody and that's where things fall apart. But if is Steve Albini making shows and like whipping up a, uh, a white supremacist militia? No, <laughs> if he were, then it would be different. Like I think the theory versus practice thing does, does relate to what he's talking about. And, and I, I do agree that now I don't think there would be any, it would go viral so quickly and the meaning would be lost and he would be doing a notes app. Yeah. 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 Because I don't think he would never do anything. He would never do that. But he's also like, you know, uh, I think what's telling about Steve is that, you know, he's not just like, he's not a, Oh, it's punk to wear a swastika or something kind of guy, you know, like Mm -hmm. he's not pushing buttons just for the sake of pushing buttons in his head it has to make sense with his ideology like Mm -hmm. to him being a 19 year old white guy from montana like he has to be like i'm making an anti-racist statement even though it's i like that it makes people mad and well i think we can criticize that and be like well you are a child and it's stupid then that's not really make your point but i think you can look at it and be like he was trying to make an anti-racist point even if it was misguided and you know he didn't childish have childish and, yeah. And, yeah uh i just the we've almost moved past this but i just had uh two thoughts about that is one a thing about confrontation is that he uh just to to make a a quippy phrase on what something you were saying Bryn, uh that he is confrontational but he is at this point an unconfronted confronter right yes you know he he, he uh, like has these very clear ideas of confrontation and uh you know trying to to bat around these ideas but he has not there's no he in his own mind and maybe actually he doesn't have any like legitimate sources to push back on him because everybody else in the community is basically like him uh, <laughs> well it says that everybody in his life told him not to do that and not well, yeah. the album called that. but it's that sort of true. like pleading more than like anyone with actual power being like yeah, yeah. fuck you and I'm sure he saw like his bandmates and stuff were, were I'm sure at the time he was just like ah they're just they're just worried about it. they were not going to sell records about yeah. it or, or whatever <laughs> and then the other thing is that the description of the cover it just I couldn't help think of uh, uh, Chapo Trap House collaborator 
Ellie Valley, yeah, mm-hmm. who often uh, you know gets a lot of pushback for making images and cartoons of grotesques saying yeah. grotesque things mm-hmm. to represent certain political values, uh, and I, I think that Ellie is probably a much better and sharper satirist than nineteen-year-old uh, Steve Albini. <laughs> uh, but it was I just you know. Yeah. If, if those of you who are familiar with his art, you know, that that was just something that came to my mind about this and and you know, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that Steve should have done that, but just like maybe a way in which those similar impulses could be executed well, especially by a person who uh, you know, is is perhaps part of the uh one, one of the in-groups that he uh likes to target, I think uh, when, which does make a difference. Absolutely. And I think when you're young, like and you're a smart person and you're sort of recognizing that what is it? It's the eighties and you're Mm -hmm. looking at the culture just being like insanely evil and everybody is being like, like it's the eighties in America. Like he, Mm -hmm. Steve Albini probably saw way people being way more racist and way more misogynistic and homophobic than anything he said. And then people turning around and being like, Hey, that's offensive. Like it yeah. must have felt so false. And if you're a kid being like, I'm trying to find the edges of this and push against them and be like, what is the reality here? And how do we make things better? And how do we make things real? Um, how do we actually make things better for people? Like you're going to make some mistakes, especially if you're, you know, like a, a white straight cis guy from Montana. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's like, it's weird that we have a culture that looks at that and be like, yikes, yikes, Steve yeah. Albini. Can't believe yeah. you almost made a mistake that would have been a little racist. <laughs> well, as we all know, <laughs> as we on. all know, the rule is one strike you're out. So let's right. move on. Cancel. Yeah, the uh, having uh, you know te- put, testing the limits uh, as as one would say when you're a teenager and having that uh, get written on on the internet in ink uh, means you can never uh, never have any opportunities again. You are you're done. <laughs> it's over for you. You're pal. done, baby Steve. <laughs> uh, every every take. Uh, before you're like, I don't know, 22 should be archived the way that these are, which is recorded to VHS and then digitized <laughs> and put up on YouTube 20 years later and then see if it's still bad this, enough to get this you, you, get you yeah. castle, uh, canceled. It's, uh, it, they put it in the, the This You Time time uh, machine and uh, see see what sticks. <laughs> uh, and I also, I thought this was a good analysis that uh, uh, right is saying, Steve is a, an intelligent social misfit who liked to test the tolerance of the white liberal crowd that made up most of his audience. After all, pissing off the squares was like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm. It was a lot more interesting to mm. piss off the hipsters. So, If only there was a way to turn that into a marketizable, <laughs> uh, monetizable industry, uh, you know, 30 years later. It yeah. is surprising Steve Albini hasn't been on more podcasts. Do you think I, he says no? Do you think he's just like, I think nah. he says yes a lot. I was actually looking, looking up Steve Albini interviews right before this. And like just in January, he did, uh, you know, not to... I don't even remember this guy's YouTube channel, but he was doing a, a like a YouTube interview where this guy was just like Zoom chatting with him about like, so why did you use a drum machine <laughs> uh, on on YouTube? So I mean, I don't know if they're like friends or anything, but I, I imagine <laughs> it, was here, here's fr- the thing. it was his friends, kids, cousin, or something. Yeah, He's like pa- I want to talk to Steve. <laughs> past and future guest Matthew Perpetua has been basically. DMing me after every one of these episodes being like, you know, you could just like ask this person to be on the show and they would do it. Like <laughs> these, these guys are accessible. And I'm like, but that's not the point of the show. Yeah. The point is, is to talk about them, not talk to them eventually. Maybe 
Yeah, it's a, that's a different vibe to to speak yeah. to their face about about their own work. Um, what, one last thing about the uh, the, the the trolling uh, that I, I want to bring to the group is that he in the liner notes to the Pig Pile live album he wrote. Anybody who thinks we overstep the playground perimeter of lyrical decency or that the public has a right to demand social responsibility from a goddamn punk rock band is a pure mental dolt and should step forward and put his tongue up my ass. <laughs> that so that is, feels so current. Of a yeah, it does. It does. What, what responsibility, you know, it's t- it tales old as time now, what responsibility does a, a punk rock band have to... Uh, teach people to s- anything to uh you know expect behavior particular behavior of anyone uh be- beyond i would say like literally in the spaces that they are playing in which i feel like you actually do have a little bit of a responsibility to keep people basically safe since you are the one with the microphone mm-hmm. that's that's my that's my piece there yeah yeah i mean you know and i think s- a someone like steve albini learns that later you know and realizes yeah. that like oh, I have this weird kind of power that's squishy and I don't really know how to wield it, but I got to learn. And, you know, I, I, but I, in terms of like, is this morally or socially reprehensible or not? It's like, who who cares? I I don't know, (laughs) whatever. I mean, like I, I, everyone makes their own choices, right? Like there's people who I don't want to listen to because I think they're morally reprehensible, but it's Mm -hmm. like, a lot of people still listen to them <laughs> um, and that's their choice. I don't care. What am I going to do? Censor, yep. Yep. like make them stop. Write a strongly worded letter. Be, obviously yeah. be mad. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to be, be mad, mad at it. It's like, I'm mad. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and they, and they probably don't care. So yeah, they don't care about me. Uh, in a, a a later diary entry, Steve writes, a lot of the people ragging on me have some pretty massive skeletons in their closets. I keep mine in the foyer to greet my house guest. That's all. <laughs> I just, I, I love the idea of, of Steve. The skeletons Steve in the his foyer. skeleton, yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I, yeah. I know we haven't, like, we, we've been lingering a long time on just, like, the character of Steve uh, it's, before we, we move on. But that is, it is just, like, endlessly fun to talk about. Another thing that Molly and I were ch- chatting about yesterday, and this is like some of the very first things that we said to this, that Steve Albini is the most uh, Chad virgin or the most <laughs> alpha beta. Oh, for uh, sure. Perhaps ever. He is like... He's a true Sigma. Yeah, he is a true Sigma. <laughs> he, he is MGTOW. He is a man going his own way. Uh, he, he is like... Because he's like phenotypically all the things that you would be like beta archetype, but he is like so relentlessly assured of his own self and also like has the goods to back it up creatively mm-hmm. he's great i i mean he's you can't you can't help but but uh be impressed at least at the very least or or, or you can just hate him and think he should shut up i mean <laughs> you know you could be one of those people and i'm sure there's i would i would say there's probably more people who dislike this kind of stuff then there are people who even at this point are like oh wow this is really interesting and like i yeah. like this music um which well, is so funny again the, <laughs> the music rips so that's why you should like it the actual political that's true content, i mean that's uh, I, I i i i care less about the the actual musical <laughs> content of it i'm like absolutely i mean at this point the political content is uh you know it's like watching i don't know 
something it just feels so early in like this very specific kind of thing it's like what it, it's like it's, pre, it's pre-fortune pre like internet it's almost like watching it or like listening to like sam kinnison like comedy <laughs> or something and then that's the thing is that i listen to a lot of the music and, and like the lyrics of it to me come off as funny now it's like right. a jo- joke and i don't really know molly as you were rereading this i i wonder like it doesn't really come through that Albini at the time thought that his lyrics were like funny yeah. as much as like intentionally provocative. But now I listen to these songs and he's like, these are all d- jokes. This is clown shit. It's all, it's in, in, in a good way. It's like, yeah, a lot of it uh, is very tongue in cheek. It seems very sort yeah. of, I mean, especially on songs about fucking like, all right, we, we should listen to, to another song. We've been talking about him for forever. Sorry. I, I want to get back. No, 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 no. I'm just like saying we've been talking about the music so long that I want to play a song that, that is, would you, that, would that you contains like to, this. Would you like to play a song from Racer X, perhaps? I mean, I love I love Racer X, but I'm not sure if this is the best example. I mean, maybe. I don't know. We can uh, skip it. I know. We I feel like we've been trying to like play a song from every person's release. I mean, this uh, but song we, is just no, good, No though. rules, just right. A, a kind of funny version of this is the big payback, which is this cover of a James mm. Brown song, like done in this way. I think that this is like a kind of intentional joke. Hey! I mean, in, the, in that way that it's like a cover of like one of the top black musician songs of the 20th century but it is a song about like being so angry you're gonna murder somebody you know <laughs> it's, it's like that that intersection of like we're gonna do a cover of a funk song but it's a funk song about being so angry you're going to kill <laughs> yeah I can't get through this episode without just straight up playing Racer X because I do think that this song rips. Oh, yeah. I will say that the the beginning of this song, just the recording of the drum machine is about the best I've ever heard a drum machine sound on a record. Fantastic. As the drums, like as regular drums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just gives it such a cavernous feeling yeah and also it's about speed racer (laughs) which also seems funny yeah had to play this too because I do wonder how different this would have felt live mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. we say it's funny but it's like if you're watching it live like it probably would have been ins- insanely intense I mean the way that the drum machine just like carries the music on relentlessly mm-hmm. you know there's no uh, there's no pause there's, or, I mean not like there's pause in song but it's just so propulsive it's yeah, I, I I I would love to have seen a uh, big black show. Oh yeah, if that's one of like those like if you could go back in time questions, 
Absolutely mm. would have loved to see them or swans at this time period. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that Razor X was uh, off uh, Homestead Records. So uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Steve uh, had connected with Gerard Cosloy and Gerard Cosloy said uh, Steve was probably a thousand times more effective than any manager or lawyer or could have been at negotiating their uh, deal. So also Steve, I mean, to go back to the DIY theme, he is, uh, he's, he's, he's signing the checks. He's, uh, he's, he mm. seems to have a, a brain for business that's a little bit perhaps more astute than some of the other bands in this <laughs> book. Um, they also, they didn't, that being said, they didn't actually sign any contracts. They paid for all their recording themselves. And Steve estimated that they spent two to $3,000 on all, their entire <laughs> discography, <laughs> which is fucking amazing. It's so good. That's so wild. Oh yeah. That so part good. is so interesting because I wish I could, like you can't get away with that anymore. Like no one's going to fuck with you if you like just don't sign anything. Like yeah, no yeah. one, people would be like, okay, well, I guess we're not doing it. <laughs> right. Everyone so badly now do wa- wants there to be some kind of proof, perhaps in a, in a, a, a ephemeral world. But his, his <laughs> rationale was, well, yeah, if they fuck us over anyway, we don't have any recourse anyway. So why not give, like, why give them a contract to but fuck that's up? In, that's so correct. But, like, they know that now. I mean, yeah. I don't know yeah. what, I don't know what kind of fucking labels like Touch and Go or Ruthless or whatever were like, didn't know that. But, like, the whole point is that they have more power than you. So to be like, no, we'll just do what we say. And if you don't do it, fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, and they were just like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> like we could pull this record at any time, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yada, yada. Amazing. I don't know yeah. how you get that done, but I would like that sort of situation. Sure. You get you get Steve on the phone uh, uh, negotiating for you. Yeah. Should offer some Steve. some just hourly rates for that kind of thing. Yeah, we're, we're gonna do it for hourly rates plus fireworks. <laughs> Um, so they, they replace, uh, Pizzotti with Dave Riley and then they release Atomizer. Should we listen to some, some tunes off of Atomizer? Uh, one of the best albums. Yes. It's so good. Uh, Atomizer fucking rips. Uh, it's great all the way through, but, uh, we got to play one of the best songs we will encounter in this entire book. Kerosene. Yeah. See, this is Gossamer. That's Gossamer. <laughs> this is sure. Gossamer. I'll tell you when it gets lacerating. Mm-hmm. Now That's it's lacerating. Right, yeah. <laughs> God damn, that bass sounds like a fucking power chord. It's so cool. Sounds like a fucking chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> you tune a chainsaw. Yeah. I'm constantly chasing after this sound, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I'm giving too, like, I'm giving too much away about, uh, you know, my preferences. But I, people listen to shit, you know. I mean, this, it's funny that I think that this song probably has the grooviest groove to me of any song. Uh, at least in this book, possibly that we've covered in the show. Like this is like the perfect group. I was born in this town. <laughs> this is perfect group. Yeah. <laughs> 
lived here my whole life. <laughs> Probably come to die in this town. Lived here my whole life. We're gonna have to go at least until the big drop out to set her on fire. Although it does come very, very, uh, a few minutes later, so we can probably talk over this. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just like, this is like a, a rock and roll epic. This, this song's like six so- six minutes long. Yeah. I just, I, you know, we talked a few episodes ago about uh, Sonic Youth being like, what if America was bad and doing bad <laughs> People be like, whoa, really? And I feel like Steve's lyrics are so much more like yeah. he's he's got the like minimalist short story thing. Down. Right. Yeah. He's like some sort of like really evil Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Here we go. It rips, it rips, it's so good. Set me on fire, kerosene. Set me on fire. His vocal restraint is so interesting. Yeah, yeah he's chilled out a little bit. Although I did I did like his super extra like snarly thing, but this is cool too. But he can still go up when he you know when it comes to it. It it is funny, like as much as I was talking about the uh, the replacements. Uh, having this quality uh, of being like a young snotty teen who projects uh, like kind of a, a wizardness beyond their years. This is like kind of the opposite. It's, it sounds like a 60 year old singing as a young snotty teen yeah. or something like that, you know? <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, that's Kerosene. That song, one of the best. Great song. Uh, so, yeah, Atomizer got them, um, you know, more attention. Uh, got that they were still playing like pretty small shows whether that was a result of uh, just not being known or Steve perhaps uh, not really playing the you know he wasn't he wasn't schmoozing like Thurston Moore (laughs) and Kim Gordon were Um, he was also uh, you know at this point major labels would like call him and he would just hang up like he wouldn't even (laughs) say anything he would just like completely hang up the phone uh, and he he eventually severed ties with Homestead because of uh, ye old shoddy accounting practices. <laughs> really um, crazy stuff, though. Like, yeah, the the like f- the promotional. I I didn't write this down, but they they did some sort of bait and switch thing where they uh, were selling a so something they recorded a song or like an EP they, or a, they yes, pressed say. this one of the uh, singles from uh, from Atomizer Il Duce. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm getting that wrong. Uh, yeah. Is El Duce from uh, Songs About Fucky? It's, it's one of those two. Yeah. Uh, they pressed it to a 12-inch single, and they were like, we're only doing this to send out to college radio stations or radio stations so you can get some airplay. That's the only reason we're doing it. And Albini, in his relentlessly ethical way, was like, that's fine. As long as you don't sell it, I'm not upcharging fans for the same song on a different format. Right. And yeah. then he went to a different city outside of Chicago and found in the record bins 
that the 12 inch single and figured out that Homestead was indeed selling it to record stores to sell to fans. And he had to call the record label posing as a buyer being yeah, like, hey, can like, I buy that? And they're like, Oh, you're not in Chicago. Are you? You're not allowed to sell in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. fucking so crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. They should have uh, known they couldn't get away with that with, with <laughs> Mr. Albini. Like he's going to find out. I also love uh, the through line of uh, Steve and Big Black in general's uh, hate hate relationship with Chicago. Yeah, mm-hmm. where they, they play uh, there. Yeah, where they like because he were alienated like, every venue. <laughs> well, they were like playing shitty clubs for like less than a hundred people, and then they did an East Coast tour, and then suddenly bigger clubs wanted to book them back in Chicago. And they were immediately like, "Yeah, fuck you! Uh, if you wouldn't <laughs> book us when we were when we were just a Chicago band, now you think we're hot shit just because we went to New York? No, we're not playing Chicago anymore." They like rebelled. <laughs> In not playing Chicago after they got big. Yeah. It's just, it's just like misanthropy all the way down. Such it's, it's shitty so behavior. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. De- so definitely not not confusing why they maybe aren't don't have that uh, hockey stick growth that you're looking for. But right? he, yeah. he didn't want it. It's like. Yeah. He, they could do it. They could do it on their own. He, it, it's funny after these like three chapters as we've three or four chapters that we've got in order where it's like these bands like making the tenuous jump to major label and like maybe pursuing success and not feeling good about it or like making the jump and then failing and like not quite figuring out how to make this thing scalable and just to move on to a guy like Steve Albinia is like, no, fuck you. Uh, no, no scaling. Absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. I will not, I will not scale this beyond anything that I can personally control, <laughs> which honestly yeah. it makes me so sad because I, I feel mm. like, you know, Steve kind of figured out a way to do this and like live and have a mm-hmm. life completely on his own terms. And I just, I mean, he would probably be mad at me for saying this, but like, I just don't feel like it's an option anymore. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. either the hobby, hockey sk- stick growth or failure. He kind of got in like right, maybe at the pocket where it was possible to do his kind of thing uh, forever. Or maybe he is just r- relentlessly ethical in un- preternaturally skilled. <laughs> Where he can, ju- he is just like the guy who can navigate that space. He just doesn't seem like a guy who was like secretly leaning on extremely rich boat dealership parents or whatever. Ooh, rocket like, scientist, yeah, dads. Oh yeah, I guess his dad was a rocket scientist. Seems mm. fair, maybe where well paid, but it doesn't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was one of those rich kids who was just like, I'm a crust punk now. But like, <laughs> you know, it just seems like if you are a person who needs to like make rent <laughs> and right. like or you're homeless uh, mm-hmm. trying to do something like this in 2020 where you're just like i'm gonna be in a band and not worry if i make money is just like impossible and it's yeah. not his fault it's the world's fault but it does make me really sad <laughs> they do say that he was relentlessly thrifty that the tours always made money because they didn't have to take a drummer around with them and that he was good at the money right uh there are anecdotes in the chapter about him um <laughs> being a master at just dumping phone lines when he couldn't pay the bill. And like uh, yes. one of the bandmates saying that the, the Chicago ph- phone book was full of uh, Steve Albino's Albano's Albonis Albonis. Uh, Cause he would just change his name and open things. And then that he could pack <laughs> his entire apartment into his station wagon and move in a day. If he got kicked out, like he does sound very thrifty, right? But yeah. his specific, you know the the through line to like this band being big and steadfastly indie until like 1987 or 88 and then him like 
recording Nirvana for $25,000 a day. Yeah. Yeah, Like four years later. I mean, he would say like, look, I pick up the phone and if they ask me to do something, I'll do it. And if it's a major label, I charge them out the asshole. Yeah. Uh, which that's a, I think that's a reasonable way. I, that's a, that is ethical. Yeah. Oh yeah. To charge Respect. to have a sort of a scaling <laughs> uh, a sl- a sliding scale fee. But I I'm just you know I'm saying that it might be just a product of like getting in there at that right that singular window of the late '80s mm-hmm. to mid '90s like where you could become that kind of guy as a guy like Steve Albino. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Stove. Stove Albino. Stove. Stove Albania. <laughs> Stove Albania. Stove Albania. Um, so yeah, they ba- back in their their biography, uh, they did Homestead. They got involved with Touch and Go after uh, Steve and Corey Ross from Touch and Go discovered that they shared an intense lifelong fascination with fireworks. They, at least as of uh, the writing of the book, still get together on Fourth uh, of July every year and blow stuff up, which I think is very sweet, <laughs> very yeah. cute. Uh, including vegetables, uh, as I said before, Steve is a uh, he's a avid. He's got a green thumb, so he, I assume he's got some crazy pumpkins or something to to blow up. Uh, they record the Headache EP on Touch and Go, which was advertised, uh, I think, right on the packaging as not as good as Atomizer. So don't get your hopes up, cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at this point, they're also struggling a little bit with. Uh, um, Dave Riley, Steve says that Dave was uh, fucked up beyond fucked up at shows. Uh, uh, Dave says that is not true, um, but it's they were just kind of experiencing some more friction that was signaling the end, perhaps, of their reign. Before I get into the end, should we listen to anything off of Hedek? Uh, yes. I mean, it's it's sure. Don't Let's get, do it. Don't get your hopes up, cheese. Uh, here's my disco off edit. Getting real into the sort of stuff that will become shellac later. Yeah. Like real weird time signature syncopation stuff. that I'm like, eh, maybe this one is like a little too just like abrasive and weird or something. Then the like the fucking main part of the song hits it, kicks in. I'm like, no, this rocks. Yeah. Anyway, that's my disco authentic. The drops are always fucking killer. He, he does value the, a good drop, doesn't he? Yeah. You gotta remix this for the, the EDM crowd to have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I do big, big ultra black. 
<laughs> yeah, when I do when I do my ultra set, I'm definitely gonna mix kerosene in. Yeah, the the kid the kids are gonna love that. The kids are gonna love it. The kids are gonna. I was the first out. one introducing the ultra kids to Big Black. <laughs> everyone, everyone said I was crazy. They all know now. They all know now. <laughs> um. So yeah, they they're kind of at the end of the road. Uh, and they kind of they decide they do the old uh they pull the old mission of Burma and decide to break up, but not before you know releasing the last album going on a farewell tour of sorts. And uh, Steve actually enjoyed being in a lame duck band because, you know, if you have a bad show, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> never going to play that place again. I, I understand. <laughs> it's kind of when you put in notice at your job. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, the last few weeks where everyone's running around you with, like, all kinds of problems and you're just like, that's simply not going to be a problem for me <laughs> that's soon. A, so. that, that's a YP, not an MB. Yeah. I, I, I'm always chasing that particular dragon. <laughs> always quitting jobs. Um, yeah, this is funny because it's like, yes, you won't ever have to talk to this person again until you start your next band very soon after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I do like the idea of uh, just perpetually starting new bands, but just like setting very specific time limits for it so you kind of know, yeah. you know it's over. I, I, feel, I really respect the move of being like, I think we've done all we can do. This yes. is the last one. We're putting yeah. it all into it. And that's it. And warning yeah. people and then leaving and never coming back. Mm-hmm. Incredible move. Probably yeah. the best move you can do as a musician. Chad 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 band move for sure. Although Absolutely. if you ever do come back, you look like a huge moron like L C D sound system. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it's true. Uh, they did. We recently uh, rewatched the documentary about the final MSG show for LCD. Great documentary. And my God, he really, really, he was really hyping it up as just like the end. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, I believe him. Like, I think he thought it was going to be the end, but for whatever reason. Uh, yeah. His, uh, his... It wasn't long enough. If it was like 20 years or something, I'd be like, okay, but... <laughs> Even 10. I don't think he made it to 10, It's right? like five, right? It was five. <laughs> Come on. Six or seven years, yeah. It's barely one president. <laughs> yes. Uh, we've never talked about this on the, this podcast. This is a funny way to br- bring it up uh, because LCD is obviously one of my favorite I bands. No I've disrespect, about Mr. Mr. James. I, I love your music. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. If you are listening to this. But it is, it's funny because it's like the, the way that he wrote about coming back I know everybody was like fucking clowning on them coming back, but it made so much sense to me that he was like, well, okay, I, qu- I stopped the band and it felt good, but then I just kept writing songs and I was like, well, fuck, I should probably record some of these songs eventually. Well, should I like reform just the same band with new, like new members just because I said I quit the band or should I just like call the old people up and like say it's fuck, I guess I gotta start the <laughs> fucking band again. It's like, I got, I got his reasoning. It is, I will say, extremely goofy yeah no i mean it, it as a marketing thing it's silly but i i yeah i understand wanting to stop for a while and not knowing else to do it besides breaking up people need to embrace breaks more often taking <laughs> yeah. yeah taking a break yeah. a, little, a little hiatus a mental health a break like, a mental health break don't worry I, yeah if, if you really think about it do do i think that james murphy per- like planned this whole thing just so he could like <laughs> level up and start headlining festivals no. instead of playing second line no i don't no. i think that's a that would be a terrible gamble <laughs> yeah but, i don't uh, think that but you could I, I, just yeah, d- do like deftones and be like once a decade we'll release an album don't ever yeah. ask us about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> in our in our in between times 
Don't look at me. Don't don't talk to me. I'm not here. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of that, let's listen to one off of songs about fucking their last yeah. album. Uh, speaking about always coming back to you. Here's Bad Penny. I love the fluttery kicks. Like he's gotten more interested in like. Yeah. Bills and shit. Can you imagine? Speak about uh, like ten thousand hours. Can you imagine how many <laughs> hours fucking nineteen eighties Steve Albini spent just like crouched over his fucking drum machine? <laughs> yeah, so many. All right, just had to get that line in. Just a bad penny. I always come back to you. Uh, I was watching live footage of them, and I was trying to figure out how the fuck he was triggering beats to start and shit, because he doesn't take a break from being at mic with guitar. Right, uh-huh. I think uh, it's a pedal. Yeah, I don't know. Because the only other person I've seen do play like this is Colin Green. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know Bryn, who is uh, kind of like a, a bedroom punk, I would say. You know, like bedroom <laughs> pop, but it's bedroom punk. Uh, she's great. There's a lot of great uh, songs on our album, but... When she plays the doors, it's just her in a drum machine. Uh, and she just has a big cardboard cutout that turns the drum machine start button into a pedal that she can hit. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, she like cuts out a big piece of cardboard and puts it over the start button. So she, when she presses down, it only hits the start button. They make which is pedals very funny. for that. <laughs> no, better with the better with the cardboard. I have out. a band where I have I do this kind of like god fleshy stuff, and I just use a pedal. Um, anyway, here's ba- that, that was uh, Bad Penny off of Songs About Fucking. I mean, honestly, it's all more of the same, but all these songs fucking rip. They I do. think they're, I mean, if you listen to that, their discography, like, in order, there's a pretty linear, like, ramp up in quality, I think, of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. from Lungs, which, as we heard, was, you know, a little bit goofy and 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 dated sounding and then to that which is just feels like this extremely polished like he knows every sound he's trying to get all of the drum work is like much more intricate like it the songs are tighter and better and Mm -hmm. more catchy like yeah it's a pretty you know he's like well and now we're done (laughs) yeah (laughs) it is very funny to think of like if I mean, with a lot of these bands, it's interesting to think of, like, if they had been able to st- stabilize and, s- like, succeed at a level enough where they became, like, arena bands, like, what an arena, <laughs> oh like, God. big black show would be. I, I mean, would like for, to see for it. Good fireworks, for, probably. For, yeah, fireworks for, like, butthole surfers for, like, I mean, butthole surfers did, in the end, play arenas and shit like that. I mean, they play festivals. Uh, but, yeah, any any of these guys, if they had been able to, like, get to that level, what what it would be like. And and Big Black is one that I think is very interesting because, it, you know, Molly and I, I don't know, Britton, have you ever seen Nine Inch Nails? Oh, yeah. Live? Uh, that's not that much later than this. And no, it's an amazing show, and it takes a lot of the same impulses from it. So Totally. And, I mean, I think uh... – I, I would imagine Big Black would be a lot like seeing Godflesh. I saw Godflesh in uh, at Irving Plaza, and that was mm-hmm. a very intense show because it's just two guys on stage, but they're just like, it sounds like hell. <laughs> 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 it's great. Oh, man. 
Well, that that's the end of of Big Black. Uh, they went out with a massive bang. Yep. Uh, they basically went on like a world tour. They played Europe. They played Australia. Yes, uh, maybe one of the only bands in this book to play Australia. Yeah, I feel Prison like that's colony. not a very common. <laughs> they they go to they all go to London and and get you know spat on and, and scream at of them and, and then and then fawned over by the press. and then fawned over by the UK music press of course um, but yeah Australia is a that that stood out to me yeah they're um, the first ones mentioned that go that go there yeah uh, they probably played a played a date with the scientists scientists the scientists the scientists yeah that was like that's like the big <laughs> punk band in Australia in the eighties oh there's an Australian right? punk oh, band called the scientists yeah the scientists mate <laughs> this is probably more yeah. of a not scientists. I fuck up my New Zealand and Australian accent. Yeah, I don't. They're the insulting same. to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to our uh, friends in the the Antipodes. <laughs> Please. Um, so yeah, that's that's the end of Big Black. Definitely not the end of uh, of Steve. He, right. you know, he immediately starts uh, the wonderfully named Rape Man. <laughs> Uh, he well, again. See, it seems like whoever was influencing him to not name that EP the the forbidden name. Uh, he, they he stopped listening to them by the time he names his yeah. band Rape Man, which is funny. Uh, there's a funny anecdote about that part is when like his shows are being protested by what does he say like Catholics and ha- lesbians, housewives uh, and lesbians, housewives and lesbians, mm. and then he like he's like <laughs> has this really funny kind of sheepish aside where he's like. Lesbians is sad because I want them to like us. <laughs> like they have the same politics as <laughs> us. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, really if they would just, the, if the they would block. just, if they would just listen, <laughs> I'm on their side. <laughs> Move past the name, and there's a whole, there's a whole wealth of, uh, of attitude to enjoy. Yeah, it, it does seem like the way they describe it that the brand band basically only lasted a few years because they like all agreed like yeah the name of the band was not a great idea <laughs> like there's other like they went to Europe and and they were like yeah everybody took the name really seriously in <laughs> Europe uh and then and then uh his explanation is that that band ro- broke up because we didn't get along mm, yeah. <laughs> someone didn't get along with somebody else is what he mm-hmm. said that's all we have to leave it at and then he became a world class producer right not yeah. producer i'm sorry quote Engineer. engineer engineer yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, purposely uh, does not does not bill himself as a producer uh says that he you know continuing the ethical uh streak he has you know is not does not try to influence the sound or the ideas uh if it's the band's terrible ideas it's the band's terrible ideas um but he will make them sound as good as they want them to sound bless bless him <laughs> yes i think one of the things that really stuck out to me reading this this time was the one stray uh extremely uh self-deprecating passage where he says everything i try fails and i hate yeah. myself for it. <laughs> yeah uh, you know and that was pretty revealing because i mean i think i definitely thought of him as a someone who was just like really hard on himself and is a perfectionist and like that's how it is to like push yourself that hard it's because you want to do something and you never think anything you do is good enough um and i thought i hadn't really read anything from him that like that honest sounding Mm -hmm. especially because like the narrative around this chapter is very much like he keeps doing stuff and it keeps working i mean not wildly successful (laughs) because none of these like 
the way that these bands were living was wildly successful. I mean, they were all like crashing on, you know, spend years crashing on like friends floors as they were touring and shit mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, you know, it, it's never glamorous, but it's like working and it has like, it's limited popularity, but it like, yeah, that it, it does stand out that right in the middle. He's like every, everything that I've done at like the height of big black at like 1985, it's like, right. yeah, everything, everything about this is like a failure. Right. And not only a failure, but, you know, it, it just sort of kind of shows that he's not just ethical, but also feels like a little bit self-sabotaging. Like, you know, yeah. he's doing that thing where he's just like, I'm worthless. Like, no one mm-hmm. owes me anything. Like, mm-hmm. and that kind of is an interesting way to look at the way he's lived his life of like, because you, I, what I thought you were about to get to was when he says, like, why should I make any money off royalties? Like, I'm just yeah, setting yeah, yeah. up the mics. Like, he refuses yeah. to look at himself as having anything to, like, help people. <laughs> like, he's yes. like, I'm just yeah. providing a service, like a plumber. This is nothing, yeah. you know. And it's like... I'm an engineer. Why should I, why should I take royalties off in utero? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I think that there is something to say like that's it's I guess ethical, but it also kind of doesn't make any sense unless you don't think that recording engineers or producers have anything to give or like, yeah. And I feel like he wouldn't take that out of anyone else's mouth, but himself. And I, Mm -hmm. sure. I thought that that was an interesting way to look at him as a, a really self-hating person. (laughs) Just sad. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as as we've been saying so far as I've been developing that, like every one of these bands has like kind of a built-in tragedy to them, or any mm-hmm. one of every one of these stories, whether that's like the way specifically that Azred set the, set it up, or if it's just something that comes through, and like perhaps the um, self-inflicted tragedy of Big Black is Albini's, as he said, relentless ethicism <laughs> uh, at the begin, and also in the in its own way a, a self-sabotage of like if nothing can ever be good enough. For yourself, then eventually, even as your band becomes more and more successful, you have to like pull the plug on it because it's like the success of this band is is negating my own opinion of it. So, yeah, uh, sometimes yeah. you have to make a decision that you won't feel comfortable with. So why not just uh, kill it yeah. before that point? <laughs> uh, right. But thank you for all the the good music, Steve. <laughs> thank you so much, Mr. Albini. We love you. <laughs> we do love you. Oh well. Uh, should we leave it there? I think we got uh, like a, all our good Al- Albini talk uh, about the, the nature of his person in in the middle and just at the end there. I, I, unless anybody else has any uh, hot big black takes that we mm. need to wrap this episode up with. Yeah, no, they talk a little bit at the end about shellac and then what is the last thing that they say in this book? I, I forget, actually. Oh. <laughs> I didn't write it down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he just is saying that he does what he wants and uh that's all that he needs to do and so i feel like everyone ends their chapter being like we we taught people that you can do whatever you want to do and that's (laughs) punk rock i'm like yeah i guess Uh, (laughs) yeah the 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 last passage of the chapter is him gesturing to his world-class studio of electrical audio electrical audio studios in chicago and he and going see this place punk rock built built this ah yes right so funny i don't know if it did (laughs) like there's a certain framing of this book is like punk like you just said molly like punk rock is just fucking 
not caring except yeah. when it's really important to you and like you spend yeah. your entire life dedicating yourself to this <laughs> stuff and it's like uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot more go I don't know what punk rock is I never really I've never understood punk at all we don't but. <laughs> we don't have a framework for it certainly <laughs> sorry that's my that's my little joke uh we well no we like we lack a, pra- a framework we lack for a framework a for discussing punk rock <laughs> but I would say that we as Man, a I su- think Blink-182 is punk rock. I shouldn't be asked about these things anymore. Oh, that was a, that was my biggest um, a troll comment that I was going to do uh, recently, <laughs> which was uh, the biggest legacy, uh, the biggest musical legacy of Gen X is uh, pop punk. That's uh, because that's correct. a medium spicy take. Uh, because when you look at all the uh, the real like '80s punk rockers, uh, those guys were all boomer- boomers. Right, uh, born born in the late fifties, you know. Green Day, Green Day is the the real. Yeah, Gen they X they statement. are the Gen X heroes. Absolutely. Uh, or or I think because Kurt was born in like sixty seven or anything, I think you could say that anybody born before Summer of Love uh, still technically qualifies as a, a boomer, uh, and then <laughs> anything uh, born after that. Uh, that's my rubric, and I'm sticking with it. That's my framework, and I'm that's sticking with framework. it. That's your framework. Yeah. Uh, let's I don't move... have a framework for anything, though, really, like any yeah. anything in life, except, who... you know, what, what kinds of things I like on my sandwiches. Who does? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, frameworks suck. Uh, go, shoot from the hip. Uh, go with your, your initial opinions. Go with God. Yes. Uh, never be canceled. Never. God is punk. Sorry, I, I took uh, it too far. <laughs> simply not true. Anyway, let's move confidently into the end part of this episode. Bryn, thank you uh, for joining us again to talk, Steve. Uh, we promise we'll have you on again, and this time we can diversify from uh, the the world of Albini. I know and, and other musicians, but I, yes. I do really like Steve Albini, and I I own a lot of his records, if not all of them. Uh, some really rare ones that cost too much money. So thank you for talking, uh, having me on to talk about him again. Yeah, it's always it's a joy, and there's so much there's so much discourse to build around Albini. There is so actually, we, we, you can really you know sort of look at his body of work as a as a sort of microcosm of a lot of stuff that's going on now too. And I think it's yeah. an important lesson to learn. Uh, so, uh, is there anything uh, specific that you would like to plug? At the end of this. Oh, well, you already plugged all the things. I got two podcasts, Jen Loss and Bleepy Bledis. I got a band called Stay Inside. We are, uh, well, this probably won't come out, but uh, before the show, the live stream. We've got some live streams coming. Um, and I, uh, let's see, what else do I do? <laughs> oh, Means TV. <laughs> Subscribe to Means TV. Uh, I play video games on there. Uh, uh, Twitch.tv slash left trigger underscore. Hell yeah. Get the yes. URL on lock. Love to hear it. <laughs> uh, Molly, is there anything you would like to plug coming up? This will um, be in like three weeks. I don't know three if I have anything <laughs> to plug in particular. So, well, subscribe to the Alternatives YouTube channel because I've been making videos that show up oh, awesome. there sometimes. I also really like the Alternative. Follow them on Spotify. I find that if you're like, what's new music? I don't know what the fuck is coming out. <laughs> uh, they do the like New Music Friday playlists that are uh, pretty choice. And I feel much more on top of the, the you know, having my thumb on the pulse of indie rock music <laughs> in 2021 which seems uh, you know and if you want to know it's anything tough. about fifth wave emo <laughs> you can go there Ooh, i'm boy. apparently well, i'm i'm fifth are wave you fifth wave? i saw your i saw your band on that graphic there's a, a twitter graphic going around yeah. explaining the different flavors of fifth wave emo totally. and i read it and i felt my bones turned into dust <laughs> <laughs> <and> crumble. As- <laughs> 
I don't know what fifth wave emo is, and I refuse to believe it's real, but I think it's just as real as when I was 14 and people were saying, this is screamo and this is scene and this is post hardcore. Uh And it's all the same arguments and i'm You're happy so right. i'm so happy to have people you know have fun with that <laughs> but just have a, that's the point of all that shit is just to have fun they're having fun, have fun. let them have mm-hmm. fun arguing and like doing weird taxonomy of things that literally can't be categorized because it's yeah. <laughs> so subjective but if someone I is enjoying it. that they, <laughs> they should definitely do that 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 is not for me personally but yeah exactly <laughs> i say that with the remove of you know being in my 30s because i absolutely did take part in those arguments i'm not going to pretend like i did when i was a teenager (laughs) no it's important yeah it's very important anyway that's my plug follow the subscribe to the alternative on youtube all right i'm going to do uh a plug now uh despite this having been officially announced now two weeks ago from the the release of this uh (laughs) i have produced a music festival uh that is happening uh on June 5th, uh, 2021, I am doing it in conjunction with Dan Beckner of Wolf Parade, one of my favorite bands. Beautiful what an honor guy. to work with Incredible him. Incredible uh, love, Lovely dude. Uh, it is a digital music festival that you can stream from the comfort of your own home. A music and comedy festival. We have uh, one day, 10 acts uh, from 1, p- 1 p.m. to midnight on uh, June 5th. Brin's Band. Yay. Stay inside is playing the show uh it is broadcasting over a new platform called frequency.live and that is the website to buy tickets f-r-q-n-c-y dot live uh frequency is a kind of like combination between youtube twitch and discord where you will be watching a live professionally shot and mixed version of all these groups playing live not recorded before live as you're streaming it uh, you'll be able to uh, participate in either a like a large uh, Twitch-like tra- chat stream, or you can find friends and go into breakout rooms where you're vid chatting with people, like it's over a Zoom or a Discord, and watching the show as you're chatting with friends. The platform is super cool. I've used it. It rocks. It's it so works. weird. It doesn't. It's so hard to explain because it seems like oh, okay, so it's just watching a. Uh, show while I'm zooming with my friends but it's really interesting and, and stranger than it sounds it's hard to explain and <laughs> but it's fun right Brent? It, I gave Brent a demo of it yeah yeah and you can imagine almost I, I can imagine using this post pandemic to attend to watch a show that I couldn't other, otherwise attend like right. a show that was happening in a different city or something I'd be like oh do you guys want to like hop on and like watch what a, whatever band play in LA tonight and we could mm-hmm. like you know like if like a like if Kyojaku was playing in Osaka and I was like, well, right. I'm never going to be able to see this band. I would love to like see them play. And this would be like an honestly cool way to do it. I'd put it on my TV and like, get and then like and chat with like awesome. one, and maybe like chat with one, your one friend who likes that band. Exactly. Like, you watch this. <laughs> it's it, it's it cool. rocks. It's cool. Frequency F R Q N C Y dot live is where you can buy tickets. Uh, the presale will already be over $20. 10 acts. I'm giving the hard sell now because this is the first time I have to do it, and I have to do it for real on Chapo tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, get, get, your get, your, get your practice out, even though it's going to uh, be later. Stay inside. Episode one, uh, the, the, the podcast. Uh, we have 
the downtown boys, the best communist punk band with a fucking <laughs> saxophone in the country Ooh. playing. Uh, we, yeah. we have a uh, uh, throwing fits. <laughs> the, uh, the, the men's fashion comedy podcast. We have Zola Jesus, one of the best Sith wizards in the business today playing. We have Tinder live with Lane Moore, hilarious uh, dating live comedy show. We have uh pom pom squad. Awesome. Obsessed. Uh, punk Love rock them. chick. We have, of course, We Hate Movies, great bad movie podcast. We have Chapo Trap House headlining the podcast stage. Who? And ev- Who are every they? time I <laughs> die, that's crazy. Uh, just I'm fucking kick ass. Yeah. Uh, what do you even call them? Alt metal, fifth fifth wave metal. Everything's fifth wave. <laughs> the yeah, entire, it's a, fifth, it's a fifth wave post festival. Hardcore, metalcore. Metal, metalcore. It's going to be fucking great. If you're listening to this, if you're an and introducing fan, you are mandated to buy a ticket <laughs> because uh, that is the thing. We're also like the whole thing is a co-op. If we can make our break-even number, uh, a portion of the profits all goes back to the bands. Um, and the it, venue. A portion of the prop and the venue. Mm-hmm. We're trying to build a cooperative festival system using this digital platform so we can hopefully maybe one day provide a better deal for festivals to both festival attendees and artists and venues then can be um, given from like Golden Voice or Ticketmaster or whatever. So it's a new thing. Frequency.live. F-R-Q-N-C-Y. I put I help put this whole thing together. It's my baby. Please go do it. Please go do it. You you must. You <laughs> must. must. You must. Check it out. You it's must. cool. It's anyway, great. that's my pitch. It's going to be great. And that's the thing that I has been uh, making me uh, lose hair over and that I've been elliptically met, uh, referencing on some of the other episodes. So go do it. Anyway, <laughs> that's the show. I'm not even going to do the, the other plugs about the, the fucking where you can email us and find us and everything. You know where to you get us. You know our fucking you know Twitters. Where to find us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it. Uh, we'll be back next week for Dinosaur Junior. But who's the dinosaur senior? <laughs> You'll find out next week on And Intro Deucing. Bye.